0: Elliott previously worked as Wolf Consulting CEO and Director of Business Development, as well as Chairman of Tech Keys. Prior to joining Wolf Consulting, he held a diverse set of management roles with Master Car, a leading industrial supplier, and began his career working as a special education teacher with Teach for America. Elliott earned a bachelor's degree in US History from Vanderbilt University and an MBA from the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University. Outside of work, Elliot enjoys spending time with his family Rooting for the New York Jets and reading about history, technology, and business. Elliot Hyman, welcome into the corner office. Thanks for having me, Brent. Really appreciate yeah. it. Great to chat with you again. It's been a while since we first connected. So uh, so great that we could find some time on a uh, somewhat cold uh, New York afternoon. Uh, it's getting a little little chilly in the city here. What what part of the country we find you in today?
1: I'm at home in Chicago, and we actually had our first uh, our first snow of the year today. So, so winter is winter is coming.
0: Yeah, winter is definitely upon us. Well, you had mentioned to me that uh, your mom lives in Manhattan. Did you grow up here, or what part of the country are you from originally?
1: Yeah, I, I grew up in a town called Roslyn, which is uh-huh. uh, twenty five twenty five miles east of uh, Manhattan on Long Island. You can always tell right. a real Long Islander because they say "on Long Island" and not "in Long
0: Island," <laughs> right? Um, and brothers and sisters, what, what, you know, in big family, small family. What did mom and dad do? Tell us a little bit about your early life.
1: Yeah. So I, I have a sister. She's a few years younger than me. She also lives in Manhattan and she's actually in the sort of fashion and, and makeup industry. Oh, um, cool. Yeah. And um, uh, parents, uh, both both actually entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurs. So I oh. uh, grew up around a lot of conversations about business and customers and, uh, small business kind of mindset.
0: What kind of entrepreneurs were they? The, uh, what trade were they in?
1: Yeah. My, my father was a clothing manufacturer and then got into, uh, sort of small business M and A. Um, and then my, my mother was an interior designer. Yeah.
0: Cool. Excellent. And, uh, grew up in Long Island the whole time, or did you move into the city at some point?
1: So I was actually born in the city, uh, and okay. then my, my parents made the the pilgrimage that a, that a lot of folks do out to the right. suburbs when uh, to to get us into into schools and a little more space to to play outside in the grass. My my mother tells the story of walking down you know a Manhattan busy Manhattan street with me, and it was when I just started walking, and she was you know and people are kind of shuffling by quickly as they do in Manhattan, mm-hmm. and she sort of got this this panic and said, okay, it's it's time and and it, agreed to move to the suburbs
0: move out get get that get that grassy line any uh you know things that you recall from your childhood uh, things that mom and dad did or you'd mentioned they were both entrepreneurs were there's some business discussions around the table is that kind of part of what you remember growing up
1: always always <laughs> um yeah well you know when when you're a small business um owner you know it's yeah and this is what I've learned in the work that we do as well. It's, you know, it's not just your job, it's just who you are and it's, you know, part of your life. So Mm -hmm. we were always talking about, about business around, around, the dinner table. We eat dinner together every night. And um, and then my father always, uh, you know, made a point to kind of teach me about, uh, about small business. And, you know, I remember we'd go out to, to dinner when I was a kid and we would do sort of a back of the envelope calculation on you know how many tables they had what the average bill was how many tables you know how many times they turned those tables a night he was oh, always sort of cool. interested in those things and we talk about those things yeah
0: did you pursue some entrepreneurial things when you were a kid
1: you know i i wasn't one of these kids and there and you know you hear these stories you know warren buffett has the famous sort of paper route where right you know early right. on he's looking to make nickels or whatever it is but you know that wasn't really um i didn't really do that i i um i did uh (laughs) i think probably the earliest indication for for what i ended up you know kind of getting into was um i would you know play a lot of sports video games as a kid and you know a lot of kids do right and uh you know but what I was really interested in was the the management mode where you'd yeah. <laughs> sort of manage the salary cap and trade players and build Moneyball multi year plan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Very much into moneyball. Exactly right. Figuring that was much out the right my trades interest. and such. That's right. Yeah. That was much cool. more of my interest. Cool. Yeah.
0: Cool. Awesome. Were you a good student in school?
1: You know, I was probably a a B plus student. I'm not, okay. you know, so so proud to say. Um, but you know, I, I was really not. I wasn't great at what I would consider sort of playing the game of school. Um yeah. if I was interested in a subject, I got really into it and might go read, you know, uh beyond what sort of was taught in the class about about those things, uh history. Um uh, economics, I was I was pretty into. Um math. I like math a lot. Um, but I was if, you know, science and I was a French student, um, my, you know, for 10 years and I ended up getting an opportunity to go to, go to France, um, awesome. probably in college. And I tried to speak French and they just laughed at me. So if I wasn't interested in it, I wasn't very good. And that's not the best strategy for being a straight A student. Right. Right.
0: What about other activities other than your, uh, your sports gaming? Did you, did you play <laughs> actually any sports or other debate or you know, theater anything else you did in high school, junior high?
1: yeah yeah i i played a lot of sports um through the first year probably the first year of high school um and was sort of on you know football basketball baseball and you know i got to that that point where the 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 it was sort of becoming clear who was going to be really good and and then there was me who was you know sort of the last guy on the bench and (laughs) i got tired of that so i i uh stopped playing high school sports switched to to actually to student government and debate, yeah. um, got pretty into that, uh, through the, the, uh, the rest of high school.
0: Debates. Great. I did that in high school and college as well. And, you know, not only teaches you how to, to speak, but teaches you how to think, right. Representing two different sides on, you know, one equation. Did you do kind of go through that realm as well? And, uh, gosh, I remember what was it, uh, you know, the death penalty and lots of things that you would have to take one side or the other on. Did you do that type of debate?
1: I did. I did. I was, I was into model Congress, uh, which is exactly that where you sort of, um, put, you know, there's a, a bill that you have to, you know, debate against, against another, another student. And, uh, yeah, it was great because, you know, one, it, it was an opportunity to use some of the, some of the things that I was, you know, curious about and, and talk about it. And two, it, teaches you to sort of think on the fly and talk on right. the fly and try to yeah. sound like you know what you're talking about, which is a, is a pretty useful skill in life, I've found.
0: You know, there's something about really being able to debate both sides of a subject too. You know, later on in business life, I, we probably both have had bosses where you know that they agreed with you, <laughs> right? But they took the alternate position just to kind of test your mettle and determine whether or not, you know, you were going to stand up for what you believed in. Did, did you experience that at all?
1: You know, I've, uh, there's been many, uh, many folks that I've worked for or with throughout my career that, um, you know, one of the things that I learned in my, my earliest management experiences um, was the value of questions. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of times, many of my sort of early mentors and managers, they, they wouldn't state their opinion. I don't know where this was sort of learned in the organization, but they would sort of pose it as a question, whether Mm. it was to test you or just to, um, you know, uh, to get you to kind of come to the answer yourself. Um, and I've, I've used that a lot. I, 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 love that, that approach because, you know, especially now as I'm managing folks, it's like, you know, gosh, there's, there's times where, uh, where I might've just not thought of something and rather than put myself out there, it's great because then you say, Oh, Hey, that was a great answer. Maybe, maybe that's what I should, I, I should think. Right. Right. Awesome.
0: Uh, you know, I know you went under Vanderbilt. And before we get mm-hmm. to that, uh, jobs that you had, did, you know, did you have jobs in high school, junior high? Was that kind of part of what you did growing up in Long Island and, you know, set aside a little money for, you know, some things that you love to enjoy or perhaps even college
1: yeah i had a few jobs growing up um i i spent a couple of summers as a summer camp counselor Ah, which was was interesting um
0: where was that what
1: part of the state or country was that in? it was actually it was it was on long island it was it was day camp i was a day camp counselor um and uh uh great great preparation not maybe maybe in some ways for my career but certainly for uh for now being a being a parent just realizing how exhausting children are uh, to, to watch <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly and uh actually probably the most interesting job i had was so um at that time there were sort of two epicenters of uh the subprime mortgage um industry and, yeah. and one yes and one was uh southern california yeah. and, and one was long island and so yeah. we had a um my mother actually had a client whose husband had started a business now they weren't calling them some private mortgages then they were finance right. businesses yeah uh, right, <laughs> so right right um so so she kind of said hey you know my my client um they're looking for people at their finance business um and you know you don't need any qualifications and you know you can be whatever i was 17. (laughs) and um so i took took the job and i ended up doing cold calling um to folks for for subprime mortgages wow Um, cool and this is in high school yeah this is in high school right before Right before the financial crisis, um, yeah. and so when that all sort of came about, and you know, subprime mortgages were sort of the the main culprit. It was a really interesting experience to reflect on, um, yeah. kind of who I was calling, what we were telling them. You know, getting loans for people. You know, I remember there was a, you know, I'm not going to say the name because. Uh, but there was a department that would sort of fix up your credit to be able to qualify mm. for certain loans. And I would just right. thought that was strange, yeah. you know, yeah. that yeah. if you don't qualify, <laughs> we're going to sort of help you, you know, fix up <laughs> your credit to qualify. I was like, that doesn't Couldn't give really the money right, away. Right. right. That yeah. is exactly right. Yeah, yeah, exactly right.
0: Gosh. Well, on to Vanderbilt, great school, and you studied U.S. history. What Was that your first choice? Did you take a look at a bunch of different universities? What What, what made you choose to go there?
1: I did, you know, I I looked at a at a lot of different places, and um, I ended up getting the chance to visit Vanderbilt. And just you know, for anyone who anyone who happens to be listening to the, listening to this, who spent a spring day at Vanderbilt, you, you'd understand that it's oh, you know, probably one yeah. of the most yeah one of the most beautiful campuses. I, th- yeah. I think a little biased, um, yeah. <laughs> but but people were outside and and having fun, and it was sort of this big concert that they put on every year. Happened to be going on that weekend, and I just sort of immediately said, this is, this is where I want to go.
0: Yeah. Awesome. And did did your four years there and did you go straight on to Kellogg for your MBA afterwards or did you work in between?
1: Yeah. So actually after, after undergrad, I, I uh, joined Teach for America, which is um, a teaching program, um, places, people without education um, uh, backgrounds or, or, you know, degrees into um, some of the more challenging places to to place and find teachers. Awesome. Um, yeah. is,
0: is it a not-for-profit, or do they operate as a for-profit service?
1: Yeah, no, it's a it's a not-for-profit. Uh-huh. Um, it's a not-for-profit. So so through them, I ended up teaching on the west side of Chicago, which has now become home for me. Um, uh-huh. Cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then, talk-
0: uh, go ahead, sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say I taught I taught special education um, for for yeah. high school students on the west side.
0: Yeah, awesome. And then uh, did you uh, go on to Kellogg after that, or or was that after you, while well, you were at Carr, McMaster Car,
1: Yeah. So so after I was done teaching, I was I was looking for you know the thing about teaching that I that I loved and I thought it was a great experience was I was 22 years old. i had just come out of college you know, and, uh, you get thrown into this classroom and I always tell people, you know, when you're, when you're there in front of the students, you know, you, you better be an adult real quick. Cause if you're not, you know, you (laughs) you don't want to know who, who will be right. I mean, you you have to kind of take charge. And so
0: kind of back to your cap counseling days, right? I mean, the same sort of
1: thing. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So, so you, you kind of have to grow up and and be ready to, to, to take charge of a group of people. Um, you know, in that case, the students and, and so um, I knew I wanted to get into you know business was always an interest for me, given sort of my experience growing up with with my parents being entrepreneurs and so um, so i I got an opportunity to go to McMaster Car, which um, which was really interesting because when they called to they called me, you know I was on my my lunch break as a teacher between you know periods class classes and sort of eating my my salad or whatever i had that day and, and they called me and they said you know hi it's mcmaster car we'd like to talk to you about a job opportunity and i thought it was mastercard and i thought that was great cuz you know who's you know i've heard of mastercard um, right, right. And i found out who it actually was and and what interests me was they kind of said hey you know we we take people who don't have you know management experience sometimes undergrad sometimes people like me and if they do a good job, you can be in a managerial role with supervisory responsibility really quickly, um,
0: yeah.
1: and so that really appealed to me. Um, with you know having kind of felt like I was the master of my domain for the last two right. years as a teacher, and yeah. um, and took that, and then they they actually sponsored for me to to attend Kellogg. So I, to Kellogg, I went to Kellogg in the evenings while I was working there.
0: So I assume that's where you first started managing people then at McMaster
1: Car, correct? That's right. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about that experience.
1: Oh gosh. So, um, I was 24 years old. I spent six months there working in, uh, so it's an industrial distribution business. My, and I was hired into their management rotation program and I, I spent the first six months working in their warehouse. So, you know i've never been in a warehouse like that you know or yeah. really a warehouse at all and it's a million square foot warehouse or something like right. that and and i was working in our order assembly department which is essentially you know taking you know an order and and the the um whatever products were ordered would sort of get delivered to this this part of the warehouse then we'd put them in one box stick a label on it and, and send it on its way and then uh, did that for six months and then was uh, given my first supervisory job uh, in a totally different part of the business in the merchandising department. Mm. I had a team of seven working for me. And I remember when I got the, you know, they kind of sat me down and said, this is your next assignment and this is your responsibilities and here's your roster. And I looked down the roster and there was an employee who I was now supposed to manage who had, you know, they they sort of have, data hire on this roster right, The data right. hire was two, was two months before i was born so you know, <laughs> oh, she had wow. she had been, been in this job years. <laughs> right she had been there she'd been in that job longer than i'd been alive and i just wow. and i sort of panicked and thought oh my gosh what am i possibly going how am i possibly going to do this um,
0: yeah
1: yeah and that was my introduction to management
0: how did you do it
1: you know i i I had really good mentors at the company Mm. um and they they helped a lot um and and then i think you know the thing that i learned and this has kind of been the case throughout my career because i've kind of you know joke i've never gotten a job that i was qualified or prepared for um (laughs) and and what i did was i just talked i talked to the people in the department and i said hey what what should i do what what should we do? Um, and tried to kind of bring whatever, whatever perspective or um, skills I could bring to that, but really just ask people what they thought and and mm. really listen to people, and then did what they you know what they said what they said we should do it was kind of a cheat code that I found was just ask yeah. people what what you should do and and go do it.
0: Right, right, awesome. What, what other kind of leadership lessons did you get out of that
1: first job managing people? You know I think just the operating with a lot of humility um, mm-hmm. it's one of the one of the great things about working in a place like that, and there's a lot of places i you know maybe not as as many as there should be, but there's a lot of places that um that uh, give early career people an opportunity to to manage and what I thought was really great was. I had a lot of peers who were having similar experiences, and and I got to, you know, not only talk to them about what they were doing, and and you know, I a shameless copier and and stealer of good <laughs> ideas, um, but but also see what worked and what didn't work, because um, you got to see a lot of examples of folks doing that, and I what I found worked was just a lot of humility and and you know, asking people what they thought, and um, you know, not feeling like. Hey, you know, the, the one of the biggest missteps I've I've seen throughout my career is, you know, people get into some sort of position of, you know, air quotes authority, and they they feel like they have to act like they're they're in charge, and and people see through that really quickly. So yeah. I, I think if you're just genuine with people, it, it it tends to work a lot better.
0: Were the mentors that uh, you connected with were they inside the company outside? Tell us a little bit about, you know, what kind of mentoring advice you got during those years.
1: Yeah. So there was a lot, a lot in the company. Um, one of the things that they did that I've always really, um, that I've kind of taken as as something I I think makes a lot of sense is they, all the senior management kind of started how I had started, um, early in their career, Mm. um, moving around the company. And so they, you know, a lot of the senior people had been there 20 plus years, um, you know, managing people for the, for the most part. And yeah. so there was a ton of lessons that, that, that I learned from them about how, how you do that. And there was just a lot of good role models. One of the, one of the, the people I worked for, I've been there 25, 30 years. And, and he said to me early on, you know, um, uh, you know, you really have to have the people that report to you. You actually work for them mm. and, um, if if they don't like you you're probably not going to last very long here
0: (laughs) the inverted Uh, pyramid
1: right exactly right (laughs) exactly right and so that was a that was a great lesson that i've carried with me kind of through through all my experiences is you know if i'm not facilitating um success for the people that quote unquote report to me then i'm probably not doing a very good job yeah Um, yeah
0: true you know, there's uh, mentors, and of course, there's also tormentors out there. Um, not to name any names, but was there, you know, behavior things that you saw that says, "Oh boy, man, I'm never going to do that," and you know, kind of remembered those lessons as you know you progressed in your career.
1: You know, I I think as a byproduct of what I was describing, where you really kind of had to prove your mettle over a long period of time and people were internally promoted there was I I can't think of of really bad managers and that was one of the strengths I think of the of that of that experience um certainly I've seen you know examples um you know of of poor management and and the things that I kind of think of as poor management is um you know you, you really berate an employee yeah. over some yeah. kind of mistake or, um, you know, instead of working collaborative collaboratively with them and, and things like that. And I, I, you know, think that that usually is a, is a really, you know, not the approach that I, I believe in taking, but, but I sure. fortunately didn't really have any, any, any bad situations myself.
0: Cool. Was it tough to leave McMaster car when you did?
1: Yeah. You know, I was, I was ready for a new experience. Hmm. One of the things that, um, that I was looking for was, um, you know, so, so the business is, um, family owned, but they've got about 5,000 employees. Um, and I, I felt like I was doing a great job, but I was having a hard time connecting, you know, what I thought was, was good work to, to the bottom line performance of the business. Um, and I really wanted to, to make an impact and, and feel like, Hey, if I do yeah. a good job, we're going to see this on, on the P and L or, or it's going to make a difference. And, and that's what I was, you know, looking for. And that's what, what ended up attracting me to, to what I did afterwards.
0: Yeah. And that was Wolf Consulting and uh, you became the CEO there too, right? That was your first corner office stint.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I ended up partnering with um, a previous guest. I, I actually just listened to your, your podcast with Jeff Totten
0: oh yeah right terrific yeah
1: yeah and so i i got introduced to jeff and and was really excited about the things that jeff was was planning and um so agreed to to work with him and and um the first two companies that that jeff and, and evergreen services group acquired were a business called executech based in salt lake city right. and a company and wolf consulting based in in monroeville pennsylvania about. 30 minutes east of of downtown pittsburgh and Hmm. and so um after after the um the acquisition of the business i um there's a longer story there but i i ended up moving there with my then fiance now wife and and first doing um new business sales there and then uh, eventually becoming the ceo
0: yeah and what did Wolf do? Tell us a little bit about their consulting practice. Were, were they an Alpine company as well then at the time, or part of the Evergreen Group?
1: Yeah, so so part of the Evergreen Group, um, yeah. was backed backed by Alpine, um, okay. and uh, so we're we're in IT services business, serving you know SMBs in largely in the the greater Pittsburgh area. Now in a, in a few other states, we've expanded geographically over the last five years. Um, but we, we do, you know, managed services, outsourced IT for, for SMBs. Right. Got
0: it. Now, was that business rolled into Lyra or combined, or did you sell that off? How how did that transition from Wolf to your current position today with Lyra?
1: Yeah. So, so I, you know, I think that that was really the starting point of, of Lyra, um, of what would become Lyra. So, Mm -hmm. um, we acquired that business, um, and, and then uh i got involved with tech keys which you mentioned in the introduction as um a sort of a you know i i feel uncomfortable saying chairman but you know board member on behalf of evergreen um right. and then we we did some additional m a in in 2020 and we kind of lifted up our heads and said oh gosh we have five five businesses now and that I'm, you know, supposed to be responsible for, and and the work is growing, and this the scale is growing, and and you know, what's our what's our plan here? How are we going to do this? Because we we want to keep growing this way, and and sort of out out of that uh, moment, um, we we started Lyra and sort of created the Lyra brand as um, the sort of uh, way to organize those. Those acquis, you know, those those investments. Those are um, our service companies, yeah, right. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Cool. And and so so did Wolf kind of become a subsidiary of Lyra? Is that kind of the relationship today?
1: Yeah. So so Wolf is is our first of now fourteen companies um, yeah. that are that make up Lyra.
0: Super cool. That's awesome. And so uh, today, tell us a little bit about Lyra's footprint. Uh, how many employees? Who do you serve? And you know a little bit more about uh, your uh, your mission.
1: Yeah, so so we have uh, in the group today we have thirteen uh, MSPs, similar business models to Wolf Consulting, each unique, um, but but all sort of um, offering those IT services to uh, to mostly SMB customers, right. and then we have a telecom business. Um, uh, based in in New York actually um, and the group has uh, I think a little north of 600 employees wow. um, cool. where yeah, you know, we're sort of spread out geographically across the the northeast uh, Midwest and eastern Canada so sort of Toronto and and east um, right. is our is our geographic footprint
0: Awesome. And, uh, w- when you talk about MSPR or managed service provider, is it kind of just your outsourced IT type of, uh, you know, work, you do your database support, uh, IT management, you know, give us a little bit more depth in terms of those services.
1: Yeah. So, so we're sort of the one-stop shop for, um, for a small and medium sized organization to, yeah. to get their I- IT issues. Um, you know, managed. So we do everything that, you know, if you're at a larger organization, you would have your sort of internal IT department. Um, we do all those things for uh, for businesses that typically don't have their own uh, internal IT staff. So everything from day to day, you know, help tickets, your, one of your employees has has an issue um, that, that they need resolved to um, longer term strategic planning, um, infrastructure management, um cybersecurity um mm. uh, managing cloud implementations for for businesses things like that
0: awesome and uh, a lot of repeat business in that model folks like i'm sure love to be able to have that outsourced for them
1: yeah yeah so almost all of our customers are um are under recurring agreement with us um yeah. so we're you know we're working with them uh you know as a partner really not not as a necessarily just a service provider. And, and, you know, many of our companies have, you know, the whole, the industry's really only been around for we'll say 30 years. And, and right. many of our companies have customer relationships that go back that far. So uh, long-term, long-term partnerships. All right.
0: I see that you sit on a lot of boards as well. Are those mostly <laughs> some of those 14 companies that you uh, are part of your family, so to speak?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, so that's sort of you know one of the things that's really unique about about what we do relative to to others i think is um our businesses all are you know almost all of the operational decisions are are made by local management teams at each of the businesses Um, they each have their own own ceo and management team uh, operating the business and then the way that I sort of think about my role is, is as a board member, uh, for, yeah. for those management teams.
0: Yeah. Awesome. How would you say your leadership style has evolved, uh, Elliot over, over time from those early days at, you know, McMaster car to what you're doing today?
1: Oh gosh. You know, I, I like to think it's gotten better. Uh, <laughs> I <know> <laughs> well, um, I think that's
0: fairly obvious given your roles and responsibility, but <laughs> that's a good humble response.
1: <laughs> yeah. I like to think it's gotten better. You know, I, I think, um, I think that I probably have a lot more patience, um, than I did, than I did early on. I think there is, you know, an instinct to try to solve every problem today. And, yeah. um, sometimes to have a little bit of a, you know, wanting to be a, a perfectionist. And, and what I found over time is, you know, one of the most valuable skills, um, is to be able to Ignore the right things. Um, Hmm. I I have a a friend, (laughs) yeah. I I have a friend who, who is, uh, also in a sort of leadership management position with Evergreen and, um, he said, you know, someone asked him, what's the best advice you can give me? And um, who was coming in early on? And they said, well, just get used to ignoring a lot of problems. um, (laughs) Because you have to pick your spots to really be effective. You're better off putting, you know, 150% into the right thing than 10% into 10 different things that could probably be incrementally improved. Yeah. Yeah.
0: How do you know when it's time to micromanage or, you know, get out of someone's
1: sandbox?" Yeah, that's a great question. Um I I think the the default for for me is to really let, you know, if I if we have confidence in the person then it's it's, you know, cheering them on from the sidelines and yeah. trying to be a trying to be a, you know, a thought partner when when asked to be. Um and then, you know, if you if you see something where where you really feel like, you know, things might be getting off off track Um, you know I I don't I I like to think I don't micromanage but but certainly get more involved and and try to really drive to 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 a goal yeah
0: company culture is so important you know CEOs talk a lot about that there's been books written about it we talk a lot about on the podcast and it, it occurs to me with you know 14 15 growing you know number of companies many of them privately owned, many of them where you keep the team in place. How do you kind of, you know, herd the blind cats in the night, so to speak? You know, how do you kind of instill a company culture that's consistent across all those, you know, those organizations?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's another really good question. You know, one one of the things that, one of the important things for us is that we're, we're partnering with businesses that, that have that have cultures in place that we're excited about, yeah, you know, obviously yeah. if you're going to, if you're going to operate the way that we do, um, you know, we're, we're really, we think about what we do as as building on building on, um, legacies that have, have already been established. And, it, yeah. you know, whenever I get a chance to meet, um, an owner of a business that's considering, partnering with us um you can pretty quickly imagine what the company is like based on meeting that person because right, right you know oftentimes small businesses are so much in the image of of that um founder or or owner um you know and then and then we you know over time um through communication and and community building is a big part of of what we do at lyra and we have conferences and, and facilitate communication across our companies. And I think we, we, we set a tone and a, um, on, on how we want to operate. And, and typically that's not all that different from, from, you know, the, the pillars of it are not all that different mm-hmm. from, from what we're, what already exists when we, be, you know, become in, involved with the business.
0: Kind of starts up front, right? You're looking for companies that kind of fit your model and fit your mold and culture is a part of that as much as anything else.
1: Yeah. And, and we're in a service business um, yeah, right. and a service business is is a people business. And so, you know, and, and we're in a highly competitive space, you know, we think there's 25,000 plus businesses in, in sort of the the managed service industry yeah. in North America. Yeah. So companies that get to the point where they're, you know, an interesting fit for us and that we're excited about, um, partnering with, they're doing a lot of things, right. Um, and it's, it's hard to have a, have a, you know, you gotta be doing some things right culturally to, um, succeed in in, in a competitive industry like that. Yeah. Right. Right. Cool.
0: What, what do you look for when you're, you know, betting on the folks that you hire or, or the companies you buy?
1: Yeah. You know, I think, There's a few things. Um, One is, is integrity and trustworthiness, sort of Mm -hmm. an obvious one, but um, it's one that we put first. It's sort of, it's always been, you know, from the first time I, I met Jeff um, through today, it's something that has always been an emphasis for us is, is integrity and trustworthiness. Um, So we, we look for that in, in folks, you know, any, anybody that we're going to do business with, whether it's acquiring a business or, um, or hiring someone Mm -hmm. that's, that's really foundational for us. Um, I, I look for, um, what I guess you could call grit. Um, small business is hard. Uh, you have to get your hands dirty. Um, I, the the other term I use for, for what we do is hand to hand combat. Um, you know, (laughs) if, if you're, if you're uh, someone who, you know, is more oriented towards sort of sitting in the ivory tower and, and um, pointing towards a problem or, or making a, a PowerPoint deck about it, that's probably not going to be effective for us. Yeah. Um, you really have to go take action and, and you know, get your hands dirty. So um, I think excitement ar- around that is, is really key. Um, and then humility, you know, I talked about humility earlier. I, I yeah. you know, can't, can't emphasize enough. One of the biggest right. missteps I've seen really smart people take in their career is, is, um, it's not being able to, uh, to tone down whatever ego, uh, might exist. And we all, we all take have them,
0: themselves but, too seriously.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a big, it's, it's, um, it's, it's something that I think can really make it hard for you.
0: Do you have a favorite interview question that you like to ask either new hires or new perspective, uh, acquisitions?
1: You know, I, if, if there's one, it's, it's just asking, asking someone to tell me their story. Um, mm, yeah. and what I've found is that, you know, you learn as much about what they say as what they don't from yeah. as uh, from what they don't say and, and right, how, right. you know, Either how they're they're trying to portray themselves, or how they genuinely, you know, hopefully how they genuinely see themselves. And I've, you know, I, I'm a big believer that sort of the stories, the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves, uh, yeah. is is really uh, powerful in in right. what we end up doing and our outcomes. So I, I love to just hear people's stories and start there. Yeah, awesome, cool.
0: Well, Elliot, we're just about out of time. Really enjoyable conversation. We always have one last question. We always ask our guests, and that's you know, what kind of career and life advice should you give to someone who, perhaps like yourself, you know, has her eyes on a corner office someday.
1: Gosh, I heard I heard Jeff answer this, and I and I couldn't uh, agree with him more. On you know, I feel like I'm very much in the stage of asking asking for advice and not not giving it. Uh, so it feels <laughs> sort of goofy to even try, um, but. Uh, if, if I, if I had to, uh, if I had to think of one, I, I think it would be to just surround yourself with, with, you know, the kind of people that you, you want to be like, and, you know, the power wow. of that has been really powerful for me and just find, find good people and, and spend as much time with them as possible. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's so true.
0: Well, Elliot Hyman, CEO at Lyra technology group. Thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner
1: office.
0: We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.